Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You're listening to Double G Radio. To all the non-believers, how did that? To all the non-believers, anybody can be beat. Relax and enjoy our expert analysis of all pro teams in the concrete jungle. Can't wait! This is the Big Apple Sports Hour. With Stopsky and G, we are live on blogtalkradio.com, WRSP Radio, W-R-S-T. Just kidding. That is, that, that is, that, I always do that, Stopsky. I always make mention of my, my show that I do on Sunday nights. I think it's just kind of screwing me up a little bit here. You're just shameless plugs all day. Just, just tell us what you're doing. All just day. Shameless plugs of your other stuff. In. Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you are on plugs. Double G Sports. Not WRSP Radio. That is my Sunday night show. But this is blogtalkradio.com, Double G Sports. And Stopsky and I are here on the Big Apple Sports Hour. We've got a loaded show for you today. We're kicking it off with some NBA draft talk because we've got the draft coming up on Thursday, 1245. We've got Kelsey Brown, staff assistant intern at Double G Sports Media. She's also a student at Rutgers studying journalism and media studies, and she's a big Yankee fan, and she just wrote a great article about Aaron Judge, so we wanted to get her take on some things pertaining to the New York Yankees, and also, we've got a very special guest coming up at 105 in Matthew Cerrone, the creator, the inventor, the innovator of MetsBlog.com. If you haven't checked out MetsBlog.com, that's where I go to get all my Mets content, and I, I think after Stopsky goes and looks at it, he's going to get all of his Mets content from there as well. Well, I'm still kind of uh, new to the whole Mets fandom, so I have to find my, uh, you know, my good sources, my good insights. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the stuff. I'm here to help, man. I'm here to inform and, and help you out. That's what we do. We help each other out. I, this is why it's a great team. This is why I've been doing this for so long together. That's it. That's it. All the way back to uh, the Plattsburgh days. So let's start off with the NBA draft. So the big news out of the NBA draft, like I mentioned, it's coming up on Thursday. There was a big trade that went down this weekend between the number one pick in the Boston Celtics and the number three pick in the trust the processes of the 76ers out of Philadelphia. The two teams agreed to trade first round picks. And in addition, the Boston Celtics will get additional picks 
either in 2018, I think it'll be a first-round draft pick from the 76ers. If it falls outside of number two and number five, it'll be end up being a 2019 first-round pick that they'll get. Um, and the 76ers are basically betting that these guys that they drafted over the last four years are going to stay healthy, and they're going to have a very good team, so they won't have that high draft pick given away, kind of like the Nets gave away to the Boston Celtics back in the day. And, you know, we saw how that panned out. So anything is possible. Danny Ainge, a ninja, and uh, a GM ninja. And, and, and Matt, you had mentioned something to me off air about Bill Belichick and Danny Ainge. What was that comparison that you had? Because it was a pretty good one. Dude, only Danny Ainge could out Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick with his freaking trade. You think the Nets called the 76er meeting and went, no, don't do it. This is bad. Bad moves. Don't trade with Danny Ainge. No, because they did it. Um, Boston. They're like, ha suckers. Yeah, thanks, guys. Moving back to three. Oh, no. And also get your next year's first-round pick. I think another pick on top, maybe. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's just because this, not only do they have the 76ers first-round pick next year, they also have Brooklyn still. Amazing. Still, yeah. Amazing. It's unbelievable. They're just stockpiling. And, there, and, and uh, there's a couple – there's a couple of different schools of thought as to why they did this. And one of them is that, okay, you know, we, we don't need to Markel Fultz because we have, we have Isaiah Thomas and we know Fultz likes to shoot the ball a, a lot anyways. So we, we don't really need that kind of guy. We'll drop back and, and we don't want to draft Josh Jackson first overall. I think that might be a little bit too high and, and we think he'll be there at three. And if we want him, and he fits with our team better, then we can stockpile these draft picks in the meantime and, and get some better players as well. But here's the kind of cog in that situation. You know, we've seen Lonzo Ball go and work out for, for the Lakers a couple of times, and we've heard that the Lakers aren't completely sold on Lonzo Ball. And now that Lonzo Ball is going around to different teams and seeing if he can work out, when he, when he first came out, it was, I'm not going anywhere else but the Lakers. You better not draft me. The Lakers are going to draft me number two. And now the Lakers aren't so sold on him. It might be a little bit higher on Josh Jackson. What happens if the Lakers end up going with Josh Jackson? That could put a cog in Danny Ainge's uh, plan right here. You know, that's interesting. I don't exactly know what they would do. Uh, I'm not sure what the feeling about Lonzo is around the league. I'm sure it's not great. But if if – That'd be one of the situations where he, Lonzo could just fall. He could free fall. At least, no, free fall in NBA terms, like outside the top five. Not like a free fall in NFL terms where he falls outside the top 32. But still, I think, um, I think Boston probably wouldn't take ball either way. I, I think they are planning on taking somebody else, no matter, who, no matter if Lonzo is there or not. Yeah, and, and of course the Lakers weren't the uh... – Hey, well, I could say Lonzo's girlfriend wasn't the only one that said uh, Alonzo has some conditioning issues um, on and off the court. <laughs> oh, no, no. You can't attack him for that right now. Why not? Kick him while he's down. No, it's not his fault. It's his dad. His dad's the, the freaking schmuck. Wait, 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 wait. It's, it's, not, it's not his fault that he has conditioning problems? Who's, oh, he's no, the no, one that's, that's conditioning that's, himself. That's, that's that's his fault. But I mean, like, you know, the reason why he's down is not his fault. <laughs> the reason why he's yeah, down is because no. his dad's a schmuck. But, uh, but to his credit, though, he's been making some great – his Father's Day ads for Foot Locker were excellent. Those were excellent ads. 
Uh, just you no, know, they were good. Really, all the fans that love it, their dads. So that 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 was uh, those were some some good stuff by by Lonzo. But yeah, I don't think even if the Lakers pass on Lonzo, which which may definitely be uh, something that happens on during, during draft night, I don't think Boston jumps on it. I think Boston is just doesn't just doesn't want that. And why would you? You're, you're building a very good team in Boston. Why are you going to add uh, a cancer like Lavar Ball? Not Lonzo Ball. And Lavar Ball said, "You just don't want that. You don't need that. There are plenty of other great prospects in this in this draft. You don't have to take the one with a thousand pounds of baggage behind him." Yeah, that's very true. And Stopsky and I will get into this more uh, on our baseline to baseline podcast on FanRagSports.com coming up this week. We'll do a pre-draft show. I won't. We won't actually be on together because our schedules aren't matching up. But I'll be on with FanRag's own draft expert daniel o'brien and he'll uh he'll be breaking down the draft in depth with me and we'll probably get more in depth with this whole lonzo ball situation and maybe what the celtics are trying to do if they want to actually get josh jackson if lonzo ball falls to them or maybe they're using this to stockpile some draft picks so they can trade away these draft picks to get maybe a jimmy butler gordon hayward whatever you know whatever you know obviously gordon hayward is is, is uh is a free agent so he can come there on his own free will if, if they can sign him but We'll get into more of that. Let's keep this New York Central right now. Stopsky, what are you hearing for the New York Knickerbockers eighth overall this year in the NBA draft? What are some guys that are rumored to be possibly being picked by the New York Knicks? Well, as you can guess, it's all guards because that's what we need. We need a a point guard, really, or a shooting guard uh, because we don't really have any right now. Um, Obviously, we need someone to help out for Zangus. And the three guys that have been really rumored towards us is uh, Dennis Smith Jr., the point guard from NC State, the freshman. Malik Monk, the shooting guard from Kentucky, the freshman. Uh, and I'm not going to pronounce this guy's last name, so I'm not going to get Frank from France, uh, the 18-year-old guard, uh, obviously from France. I've been the, the three bigger names, the three names that have been kind of pushed to the top as the ones that are probably going to be going to the Knicks with the eighth pick. But you never know what Phil Jackson did go uh, somewhere totally different. But – uh, you know, all three of these guys bring something different to the table. I think uh, all three be very welcome additions to the New York Knicks. But as long as Phil Jackson is there, what does it matter? I could play point guard for the Knicks. We still wouldn't win any games. Yeah, I don't know. He wants to implement that triangle so, so badly. And, you know, I've looked over a couple guys, and, and you know, the big guys that, that the Knicks would probably like to target, a Jason Tatum, a De'Aaron Fox. Uh, are not going to be there, obviously, when they draft at eight, unless they somehow move up some way, somehow. Um, but like you'd mentioned, Dennis Smith Jr., he's more of a, a kind of a loose cannon from NC State. He's super, super, super athletic, but he's only 6'2 in stature, and we know that, that Phil Jackson likes these taller, longer point guards. So in my estimation, I think that they may end up going with a Frank Nicolina, and, uh, you know, the Frank from France, as we're calling him, I don't know if I mispronounced that or not, but he's 6'5". He's got a seven-foot wingspan. This dude is, is a pass-first point guard, doesn't look to score all the time, and I think that's exactly what the New York Knicks need. They need a guy who can set Porzingis up, set the other assets the Knicks are going to have that right now isn't much, but hopefully in the future they'll have. Uh, but he's 18 years old. You know, this is a dude with Porzingis that you can build around. We know that. Phil Jackson loves his international players, his European uh, flair from the, you know, from overseas, and, and I think this this guy would be a good pick uh, to kind of fit with Porzingis. 
Yeah, I, I uh, it's always hard to judge the foreign players because just it's, A, it's hard to get film on them, and B, their statistics can really line up to college guys. Uh, so if, if Phil thinks that he's the best pick, I'm not going to argue against it because my knowledge of, of foreign players is not as high as his. But if you're going to take an American player or a player a guy who played in college, uh, between Luke Monk and Dennis Smith, Dennis Smith, you know, averaged 18.1 points per game, uh, while Malik Monk you know, scored almost 20 because he's an explosive score, Malik Monk. The difference between them is that you know, Dennis Smith has had 6.2 assists per game while Malik Monk only had 2.3. And we were talking about one setting guys up like Porzingis. Malik Monk is the, the explosive scorer, but as we've seen, more of a shoot-first guard uh, and really more of a shooting guard anyway. That's six foot four, that's a little small for a shooting guard. But still, that, that's more of his game. Dennis Smith, like you said, might be a loose cannon. But he's more of you know, he can make he can make the baskets and he can score some points, but he's also going to you know, give the ball around and get some other guys some points. So I yeah, if it's going to be the guy from France, they're 18 years old. If they feel like he has what it takes after they draft the Przingis, uh, I think that gives them all the credibility in the world to go out and draft foreign players properly. But if they're going to go college, I think I, I think it's kind of a toss up between Smith and Monk because really it's whoever you want. Uh, personally, I think maybe Smith because we need someone who can uh, who can distribute the ball because we don't have that. But at the same time, Monk is a scorer that would just be excellent for the Knicks. Yeah, dude's 19 years old, and I wasn't really high on Malik Monk, you know, in college when he was at Kentucky. But you know, he's kind of slipping down to us right now. And there's a there's a mock draft that I'm I'm reading on BlazersEdge.com that um, you know that has Malik Monk coming to the Knicks and. You know, the more I read about him, the more, you know, I kind of think about another Knicks two guard that was also kind of the same stature, long, lanky, a really good shooter, and maybe a guy like Jamal Crawford um, because he's explosive whenever he touches the basketball. He can light it up from downtown earlier this past season. A monk in Madison Square Garden, no less, hit seven three-pointers from distance. So, you know, this is a guy who can fill up the stat sheet really quickly, and we know that the, that the New York Knicks need – point guard play and they also need shooting because they were near the bottom if not the worst in three-point shooting last season they just didn't really have anybody outside of Porzingis and and Carmelo Anthony to really go go shoot three-pointers because Derrick Rose is not a guy who's going to spot up from downtown uh, so I think Malik Monk might be that guy that if he's there and he's the best available guy I don't see how you you, you can't not take him yeah, and that's why I said it's hard because theoretically we want someone that can that can distribute the ball. But Monk is so good that if he's there, you really got to wrestle with the idea: of, are, are you going to take this kid? Because he's because his ability is phenomenal. But at the same time, does it matter? Does it really matter who we take? Because this is not a pieces of a roster issue for the Knicks. It's a front office issue for the Knicks. I know it's kind of it's kind of a downer thing to say going into the draft when we should be hyped and and excited about the future of our team, but what about Phil Jackson's tenure with the Knicks makes you think that this is going to change? We could get LeBron James and we still wouldn't win anything. Uh, I think the Knicks would be closer. They would make the playoffs if they had LeBron James, but they definitely would not win a championship. They would uh, they would they would win a round or two in the Eastern Conference, but definitely not making it to a championship. If Cleveland with their pieces couldn't, you know, win a championship, beat Golden State, the Knicks certainly aren't. But, you know, another team that's certainly not going to 
uh, the Brooklyn Nets. What are you hearing about the Brooklyn Nets right now? Dude, the Brooklyn Nets are all over the place. And it's not their fault that they have two draft picks, and they're both kind of later. Uh, I forgot the exact place in both. I think uh, both in the 20s. Uh, I think like 22, 26. 22 and 27. Ah, I was so close. Was so, so close. close. I was so close. But, yeah, it's, it's all over the place right now because the Nets need, you know, everything. So, pretty much every mock draft has them taking just best player available, whether it's uh, homegrown talent or foreign talent. Um, but the two guys that I, I really want to talk about real quick are the two uh, that at least are the highest rated, uh, at least that I feel, that have been, that have been linked to them. And that's John Collins of Wake Forest, and I, I apologize in advance for butchering this kid's name. Uh, you know what? We're going we're to do something for the guy of France. Ike from UCLA, because Anaborgo <laughs> is not a name I can, I can do. Uh, it's just, I'm sorry. I am a bad, bad person. Uh, but both these guys kind of have bigger dudes. Uh, Collins, the power forward, while Ike is a center. Uh, and Ike is, like, doesn't really have offensive presence you would want but at the same time he's a defensive beast you know and he has a good idea of, of where they go for the glass he didn't have a great 20 uh, 2016 only 4.7 points per game and four rebounds per game so productivity is down obviously um then you look at collins and collins is up there and he's he's more of an offensive guy and probably someone that if he's there i don't know how you don't take him yeah, he's not as good defensively as as, uh, as Ike, but he's a versatile athlete. He's got a high motor. He's got very good scoring instincts. Fresh average double-double, 19.2 points per game and 9.8 rebounds per game. I think if that came down to that, John Collins would probably be the best one. But then again, when you're sitting down at 22 years first pick, you're just playing the waiting game and seeing who lands to you. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the Nets go. I mean, they have some late-round picks like you just mentioned, 22 and 27. So they've got some options there at the end, you know, end rounds. But, you know, it's nothing nothing great uh, at this point. And um, some other things that haven't been great, as we welcome in our first guest of the program, have been the New York Yankees. They're on a current, what is it, six-game skid right now. They went out west to face the Angels and the Athletics. They won the first game against the Angels, and then they lost a couple heartbreakers uh, in in extra innings over the last six games. And uh, it hasn't been great for the New York Yankees. But here to talk about it now is Kelsey Brownstaff, assistant intern at Double G Sports Media. She's also a student at Rutgers, and she's studying journalism and media studies. She's also a big Yankee fan and just wrote a great article about Aaron Judge on DoubleGSports.com. Kelsey, Greg Laundered, and my co-host Matt Stofsky here. How are you? Hey, how are you guys? Glad to be on with you. Doing well, doing well. Can't complain. Um, you know, Unlike the Yankees right now, you have much to complain about with this six-game losing streak. Uh, it, what, what do you make of this current six-game losing streak? Obviously, it's not at home, so you don't worry too much like the Met fans are where they're you know, consistently losing at home. But what do you make of this, this road losing streak? Now they're coming back home uh, uh, you know, with the Yankees right now. I mean, hopefully at home they change things around. I mean, on the road, first they beat the Angels once and then lost the next two games by them and were swept by Oakland. Their pitching hasn't been great, so maybe the pitchers will step up their games back in New York. 
Uh, speaking of oh. the, uh, the pitching staff, uh, I'm sorry, Greg, do you want to say something? before I? No, no, I, I was going to have you go. So, uh, speaking of the pitching staff, hopefully it does get better going back home. Uh, but has the last six games shown that the Yankees are in desperate need of at least adding one or two arms at the trade deadline if they hope to be an actual contender going forward? I mean, I don't know that they actually will get more starters this season. I know the general manager, Cashman, has been keeping an eye on Jose Quintana, but I think Jordan Montgomery and Luis Severino have been, like, exceeding their expectations. I don't think they'll get more starters. Yeah, with uh, with the Yankee starters right now, Tanaka, speaking of their starters, has not been good. Five and seven with a three six four ERA, ERA, and he's allowed twelve homers this season. Kelsey Girardi come at, came out after his last start and said, you know, he's been making mistakes with his pitches. You know, his sinker and his slider they haven't been too sharp. What have you seen out of Tanaka? Why hasn't he been on like like we've seen him in the past? Well, yeah, last season he was awesome. And then this season, he started the first game of the season, and he blew it. Um, so that worried me. He does have a tear in his elbow or shoulder, I believe, and that may be bothering him more than he is letting on. So maybe he needs to get that checked out more um, because the Yankees are nothing without strong pitching. They're getting their runs in, but Tanaka needs to get better. Someone needs to step up. Speaking of uh, getting the runs in, Judge, Aaron Judgment, what a beast of a season he's having right now. Uh, hey, how can you explain this? Because he just is taking Major League Baseball by storm uh, with with this it's monstrous hitting. I'm pretty sure some of his home runs are still in orbit. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing what this guy's been able to do. What, what's your take on, on his immediate rise to stardom? First Major League at bat was a home run. And then he was in a striking out streak. And now he's he just he's more patient at the plate. He doesn't just hit for power, but he does have power behind him. He has multiple home runs in multiple games. Um, at first, honestly, I was not a fan of Judge. I thought, man, this rookie is going to be a wannabe Derek Jeter. But he is far from it. He hit that home run, the furthest home run, and... All he cared about was the Yankees came out with a win. He is so humble and excellent. He's great on the field. His defense is awesome. He's just a great player all around. Again, we're talking of Kelsey Brown here on the war, uh, the, the Big Apple Sports Hour with Stopsky and G. And to kind of quote your article here, you, you started off with, forget about rising. Everyone should be bowing down to the New York Yankees right fielder, Aaron Judge, Right now, he's he's been spectacular, and you know he's leading the team in average, like you had mentioned. He's not just hitting home runs uh, this season, and you know you had mentioned that he's very humble. And you know after hitting that 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 gargantuan home run of 495 feet, he kind of came out and afterwards and said, you know, it's no big deal. It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, you know, we got to win. I think that's what it really means. And in that sense, I do see him as kind of a wannabe Derek Jeter. But at the same time, do you think you would – I would kind of like to see him be a little bit more, you know, like, you know, not so humble of, you know, saying, you know, that, you know, I, I freaking crushed that ball or, you know, I, I, I was all over it or just kind of show some excitement about hitting one uh, that, that went 495 feet and felt good. Do you think that he needs a little bit more of an edge like that or do you like him being 
Mr. Derek Jeter-esque humble? I mean, I do appreciate him being humble. Um, in that game where he hit his 495-foot blast, he also had another home run. And so after the second home run, he went back into the dugout for high fives, and the team was joking around, not high-fiving him, because they're like, all right, enough already. But like, <laughs> he, he, just, he just goes with it. I'll leave it to the American hero because we want the guy to be more cocky, right? What What's your problem a little with bit. being humble? Listen, well, there's, there's Greg, no problem with being it. humble, but at Greg the same time, I'd, I'd like him to appreciate his his 490 foot shot. That that is a a gargantuan shot. So Greg is still sour because on this program we spoke about is it too early to crown Judge, and Greg was going off on Judge like, oh, what if he starts to suck? And now they have all this. This stuff invested in Judge, and then a couple of days later, uh, it looked like Judge is aiming for his apartment in Astoria, aiming for Greg over there. So you, <laughs> you, you just have a beat with Aaron Judge, man. It's nothing to do with his character. You just got a beat with him, Greg. We just say it how it is. No, no, I, I love Aaron Judge. I, I always thought this kid was going to be a good, good player. Like unlike Kelsey, who thought you know he wasn't, she wasn't sure about him at first. I thought this guy was going to be just like Giancarlo Stanton, and we've already seen so far that he hits for a better average, and he's got the same kind of power and same kind of size. That's fair enough. So, Kelsey, what, what do you think is the, the ceiling on this team? Uh, obviously, a lot of young players, it looks like this team is built for the future right now. Do you think they can make an actual run in the playoffs this year, or is this team just a really good regular season team and will keep, you know, it really, it will keep us going until next season and looking forward, or do they actually have a real shot this year at doing something? Well, at the beginning, I was not sure how the season was going to turn out. I mean, with Brett Gardner being one of the only Yankee veterans left on the team, I was worried that the baby bombers were going to have to just follow Gardner and continue to be faceless and not live up to their past like years with, say, Derek Jeter, the court judge, has taken control. And not just judge, they're all putting runs up. And I think if they get back home and – turn their losses around, start winning more games. I think they can make it to the playoffs. I think they can go far, maybe not all the way, but next year definitely there's hope for them. Yeah, there's a couple guys that they've they've, they've got to trim a little bit of the fat off around this roster. There's guys like a Chase Headley who probably won't be here next year. Uh, maybe some starting pitching like CC won't be here. We have to wait and see what happens with Tanaka. Uh, we know their bullpen is solid. Who else has kind of surprised you? this season so far, whether it be in the lineup or whether it be uh, in the starting rotation? Um, I'm not really sure about that. I mean, Gardner has surprised me with the home runs and hits he's been getting lately. Um, at the beginning of the season, he wasn't doing too well. And then uh, Girardi was like, Gardner, you got to put up more runs for me. You got to get more on base. And he started cracking <laughs> out home runs and, yeah, it seems like what you know since Ellsbury has kind of gone on the DL, uh, Gardner's really stepped up and and played well. Him and Hicks have been great in the outfield. I'm surprised Hicks has been playing as well as he has. And I just think they need Hicks or Ellsbury back because they brought in a rookie, Mason Williams, and to play center, and he did not do too well. But I mean, he could have been nervous first game, but they need their strong outfield back. They do. They do indeed. And and they're now tied with the Boston Red Sox atop the American League East. It seems like it's going to be 
a fight to the finish between these couple of teams. And, and the Rays have been a little bit surprising, too. They're a couple games over 500, three and a half games back. When it's all said and done, where do you see the Yankees this season? Do you see them continuing to play well the second half of the season and making it to the playoffs, whether it be winning the American League East or just sneaking into a wild card spot? Or do you think they're not going to make the playoffs this season? Well, I sure hope they get more than just a wild card spot. Um, I'm hoping it's not one and done and they're out of the playoffs. So we'll see. We will see. And last one for you, Kelsey. How, what's your feeling on the uh, judges' quarters out there on right field? Are, are you a fan or not? I mean, I am a fan, but I feel like they did develop that pretty quickly. Um as long as Judge keeps it up, then, hey, yeah, great idea. <laughs> Those Yankees always trying to sell tickets any way they can. Kelsey Brown of Double G Sports, I really appreciate you giving us some time here on the Big Apple Sports Hour to break down the New York Yankees. It's been fun. Thank you. Of course, we'll talk yeah. to you soon. And, again, if you'd like to follow Kelsey on Twitter, you can do so at Kelsey, K-E-L-S-I, underscore brown b-r-o-w-n so uh maddie you know with this whole with the whole yankees and things like that you know what's your take do you think this team is going to end up making the playoffs you know because we've seen them slip a little bit but you know they're still top there at the uh the the american league east no i i think they if they make the playoffs they're going to squeak in because i don't think their pitching is strong enough uh and Hitting can get you as far as it can, especially in the uh, the dot of the summer uh, and and these early parts of the season. But as you start getting closer to September, that's when the real good pitching teams, that's when the good, well-rounded teams are going to start to show themselves. And, you know, baseball's a very streaky sport. Maybe our pitching all comes on at one time, or maybe some of these guys can, can really find their groove. But if the pitching is going to be the way it is going into September, into late August. Um, that I think it'd be really hard for the Yankees to uh, clinch the AL East. Maybe they get maybe they get a wild card spot. But I definitely don't think they go far. Yeah, I, I think this team is coming back down to earth a little bit. We'll see how they kind of respond at home because this is really the long, the first long losing streak that they've had this season. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. You know, they're coming back. They get a little redemption maybe at home because they have the Angels of Anaheim coming in. Obviously, no Mike Trout, but they do have Eric Young Jr. there who killed them in that series. Uh, the X-Met greats uh, hit a big home run against Tyler Clippert, a little X-Met on X-Met crime, if you will, going down in Anaheim this uh, this this past week. So they'll they'll be facing the Angels again. Then they've got the Texas Rangers, and then you know they get a little easier. You know they go on the road again. They got the White Sox, and then they have to go to Houston, which is going to be a tough series as well. So this schedule. It's, it should be okay at home, and, and we'll see. Matching up on Tuesday, the Yankees have a day off today. It'll be Pineda or Pineda versus Bidwell, Montgomery in Alaska, and Severino versus Chavez. So it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens with the Yankees this weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, they're going to be a fun team to watch. Um, obviously not in person because who can afford that? But uh, it'll be a fun team to watch. Uh, because of, of their bats, but um, I, I don't think this is going to be a team that goes deep. Well, how about how about them getting back Araldis Chapman? I think that'll be definitely a big asset because they've really been missing him lately. 
uh, in the bullpen. Unfortunately, Tyler Clipper really hasn't been able to get the job done. And uh, Betances has been pretty good, but those other guys just putting a lot of stress on uh, on the rest of that bullpen. And now everybody else can kind of go back to their normal roles and don't have to kind of go outside their comfort zones a little bit too much. And I think they were asking a little bit too much of an older Tyler Clifford uh, to, to do a little bit more. Now they can fit him back in his seventh inning role for the most part, maybe occasionally in eighth inning to give Betances a blow. But it would definitely be nice to have that man back in a role this Chapman. Oh, absolutely. That should help. But again, I don't think that turns them into a, a deep playoff team, just bringing back Chapman. I think this team is a year or two away, definitely with their pitching. Um, and, you know, they're, if you're catching, what do you do with this? I mean, do, you, do you decide you want to give away some prospects or some pitching, or do you decide, no, it's the, even with some extra pitching, it really wouldn't be our year anyway. Let's aim for the 2017-2018 season where we can really make a strong impact. Um, but that's going to be up to Cashman. I think it's just I, – again, I don't think this team is a, is a deep playoff team at all. Yeah, at this point, you know, you're going to have to be re- relying on the offense to carry you. And we've seen in the playoffs that offense really can't carry you in the playoffs as much as you'd like it to. It's all about that pitching. It's all about defense, especially when it gets a little colder out there in October and November. It's, uh, it gets a little tough. And I don't think the Yankees will have the horses – and I don't think that Cashman should really go out and do anything. If you can give away, uh, you know, a couple lower-level prospects, maybe to go get a middle-of-the-rotation type of guy, I'd be okay with that. I, I definitely don't want to give up top dollar or top prospect to go out and get and get a guy like Jose Quintana. I, I think he's good, and uh, I'd like to see the Yankees get him. I think he would be a big help. But, you know, if you can wait and maybe get him in free agency or, or something along those lines, that might be a little bit better of an option to go out and do that, you know, after next season, because we've already seen Cashman, he's willing to, okay, we're not going to mortgage the future here. We used to do that when Steinbrenner was around, you know, uh, that he would give away all that young talent to, to get in guys and pieces that would help compete right away, right away, right away. Uh, Obviously they built up that young nucleus in the nineties and they're trying to do the same thing nowadays. Yeah, no, I absolutely think I think they're not going to uh, pull a Steinbrenner move and, and sell off or mortgage the future. Um, I have faith in Castro. I think he's going to do fine with this team. And I think, again, I think it's going to be a lot fun to watch this year, uh, but I'm really looking forward to their 2017-2018 season. Or 2018 season. Yeah, and there, go through the year. <laughs> <laughs> There's been some, some talk. That's good math right there. Thank you. There's, been, uh, there's been some – yeah, that's how calendars work sometimes. There's been some talk <laughs> of the <laughs> of the Yankees kind of maybe doing what the Cubs did a little bit in 2015. You know, nobody really expected them to be as good as they were, and they ended up making it to the playoffs and made a little run. You know, do you, could you see that possibly happening with the New York Yankees this year? Oh, you scared me. I thought you said they were going to pull up a Cubs and just lose for 100 years. And then finally No, win. no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I missed. You said Cubs, and I, I, I almost like hit in a corner. What was the rest of your question? <laughs> I was just thinking. I was thinking. You know, I've heard some rumblings and some chatter about this Yankees team kind of being compared to what the Cubs had kind of talked a little bit about. You know, what they'd done in the 2015 season, where nobody really expected them to do much, and they went on to, you know, obviously make it to the the NLCS. I think the Cubs have better pitching. 
than the Yankees did uh, in 2015. So I think that definitely helped the Cubs. Obviously, the emergence of their young players uh, obviously really helped. But I, I think that you definitely can give the Yankees like the the mini Cubs award. Definitely doing a whole lot more than we ever expected the Yankees to do this year. Uh, but I don't think they're going to go that far. Yeah, that would be kind of surprising. Like you mentioned, that's a great point that the uh, the, the pitching staff just really isn't there, especially if Tanaka isn't going strong and doing what you need him to do right now. It's it's not going to be good. But let's now transition from the Yankees, or the Skankies as I like to call them, to the New York Metropolitans, 31-37. and 37. This team has is, is really been mired in mediocrity the last couple months here to start the season because injuries have, you know, and I hate using that as a crutch, but – you know, the, the the amount of injuries that this team really has to deal with has been really substantial, and it's been to really key players and key components to a season as well. And we we started to see that the, the pitching staff is getting a little bit healthy. But here now to talk about it on the Big Apple Sports Hour with Stopsky and G is the creator of MetsBlog.com and the director of digital content for SNY, none other than Matt Cerrone, Greg Larnard, and Matt Stopsky here. How are you, Matt? I'm doing good, guys. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. All right. So the New York Mets, like I mentioned, 31 and 37. It's been a struggle, and uh, the injuries have really played a major part in this season so far, and they just got beat down by the Washington Nationals. Uh, What's been your estimation of of this season thus far for the New York Metropolitans? Oh, well, I think it's the injuries. I mean, I know you said it at the beginning there that I, you hate to do that, but I mean, I don't know why it is what it is, but they've been absolutely crushed and there's really no getting around in it. It's, you know, you can always point to, you know, not spending enough in the off season or certain, not making certain acquisitions or obviously managerial decisions during games and not calling a prospect a month ago when they absolutely should have and all those kind of things. But, you know, that's going to happen every season. What doesn't typically happen is, you know, putting 14 of your uh, 25 opening day roster members on the DL at some point during the first two months of the season. Um, the only two guys really from the opening day lineup that haven't been on the DL, the three guys are, are Jay Bruce who's having a terrific season, but then also Granderson and Reyes who are hitting the combined 200. So, I mean, they haven't right. even really been left with uh, the guys that are their top producers for the most part. So, I mean, it's it's been a complete mess. And, and when you lose your ace, you know, probably your next best pitcher in Harvey to an extent, um, or could have been, the ground probably is, you know, coming into the season, but you could argue Harvey at, at some point, you lose your closer, your cleanup hitter. I mean, that, that's just a lot to sustain. And then you compare that to the Nationals, who really haven't lost much. I mean, Eaton worked for a little bit, but he wasn't having a terrific season. I mean, that's really it, some, some relievers. You know, that's a stark difference. And, and I, don't, I don't think anybody needs to apologize for that. I think that's a lot to overcome. Hey, Matt, uh, Matt Stotsky here. Uh, so I uh, renounced my Yankees fandom pretty recently on this show and now joined uh, the Mets. So I'm still pretty new to this team. Uh, I've been going to games the last five years. I have to ask, you know the history pretty well. Uh, is there a clubhouse rule that only one player can hit over 300 on this team? So I feel like no one – I feel like the hitting is always, you know, under the 300 mark. Yeah, I don't think it's a rule, but uh, it's an unfortunate consequence of a lot of nonsense and, and kind of odd choices. I mean, they, you know, this wasn't the case when they were uh, lighting it up the end of the last two seasons. I don't think anybody had a, <laughs> had a concern about it. And frankly, the offense hasn't so much been the issue. It's the starting pitching. 
the pitching staff in general, but the starting pitching specifically. And then I think a lot of times in, in, in the Mets case, you're seeing this, you get a lot of, you know, guys get banged up or they're trying to play through injuries. Struble Cabrera, for instance, you know, probably should have been on the table list a lot earlier than he was and maybe even never came off it. Um, Cespedes to a certain extent as well. You know, it, it starts, you start getting situations where T.J. Rivera is playing second base. Now he's doing great, but it starts to shuffle around other positions. Guys are out of position. You're using bench guys to, to play in other things. You're calling people up from AAA. You know, it just kind of throws everything out of whack. And I, I think you see when that happens, and this isn't just the Mets. I mean, if you, you know, you look around the league and just see when this sort of thing happens. You know, the Nationals two years ago, this happened. Where then all of a sudden it just all just falls apart. Nobody's hitting and no one's doing anything. Because it just becomes a collection. I mean, that's kind of the situation they're in. And the problem is that while the Cubs and the Braves and the Cardinals and the Pirates and the Marlins and all these teams that are sort of, quote unquote, competing for a wild card, are all playing poorly. You know, Cubs finally turning it around recently, but for the most part, playing poorly. the Diamondbacks and the the, um, the Rockies are just on fire, you know, and the Dodgers. I mean, you just don't anticipate these teams winning 100 games, and that's what they're on pace to do, and that's really just throwing a kink into the whole system, really. Yeah, again, we're talking with Matt Cerrone here on the Big Apple Sports Hour here with Stopsky and G. That's, that's where I was going to go next, Matt. I was going to say, you know, this team is – is falling ten and a half games back of the Washington Nationals in 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 this season. You can't even really count on a wild card spot because Colorado, the Dodgers, and Arizona have been so so good this year that unless they come back down to earth, the Mets really have to try to make up some ground in their own division. And they didn't help themselves any this past weekend, losing three out of four again to the Washington Nationals no. at home, no less. No, I mean the Mets have won six of their last ten games, and they've lost three games in the wild card standing. I mean, think, get your head around that one. You know, I mean, that, that says everything you need to know about what's going on here. I mean, he, I just did a whole bunch of math, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. But, um, I mean, Sorry, we're not very good boils, with math here. Yeah, right. <laughs> it essentially boils down to this. Even if, the, even if one of those teams, let's just, let's just say the Rockies or the Diamondbacks, one of the two just, you know, fall apart. And by that, you know, play 500, maybe a little less the rest of the way the Mets would still have to play better than at any point during the previous two seasons and do it with less players probably healthy and do it for a longer stretch. So, you know, last September into August and the previous September, August, you know, they played hot. They were on fire. Everybody was going bananas. They were playing so well and they were leapfrogging teams and getting to the playoffs. They never played better than 650 baseball. They're going to have to play around seven something from this point forward just to catch one of those teams. And that's assuming one of them, kind of, you know, slows down. It only wins 90 games. Like, it is it is a tall order. It doesn't mean it can't happen. And that's also assuming that, for instance, the Cubs or the Cardinals or the Pirates or one of these teams don't catch fire also and become an issue. So, I mean, it's 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 a tall order. It's, it's not going to be easy. And then in the beginning of the season, really did them in uh, in a way that I just – it's going to be hard. You know, and, and Syndergaard may not even come back, you know. So, it's not even like he's going to come back and, and, and sort of solidify the rotation. I just – this is this has just been a really bad year, and it just it happens as literally the worst case scenario because you left spring training thinking, oh, this rotation, how great, and it's just been decimated. Yeah, with all that math right there, you just kind of made my heart sink a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, sorry. This, I mean, you go go to mess ball, yeah. read the post, and I, I did the same thing. I, I just wrote, and I was like, yeah. I, the last line of the post I wrote was like. I don't think the sky's falling necessarily because that's what Terry's quote was. He said, the only people who think the sky's falling in, in the clubhouse is the media. 
um, you know, my point is like, yeah, the sky might not be falling, but I mean, you got to be blind if you don't realize that the ground is shaking. I mean, it's just, it's going to be hard. Yeah, yeah, with everything going on. And then, you know, obviously, they've got to go out west right now against uh, L.A. and then San Francisco and Miami. They right, come back right. a little bit to the East Coast. It's been tough. So so what at what point do the Mets say, okay, you know, let's try to trade some of our tradable assets and get these young kids up here and just kind of let them play and just kind of let the season play out as it may? I think it's going to be less about the trading of guys away because I don't think you're really going to do much. I mean, uh, you know, Dave Bruce maybe – to get you something, you know, assuming he doesn't show signs of slowing down. But, you know, as the Mets knew last year, there wasn't a huge market for Jay Bruce and what will exactly, you know, essentially be the exact same situation because he's a pretty streaky player. We, we saw that as fans. Every GM around the league knows it. He's having a really good start to the season, so you kind of anticipate they'll struggle. And so I don't, you know, plus he's going to be a free agent. I don't think you're going to get a ton back for him. Duda, you know, the same thing, very streaky. Um, you know, you can get something Granderson, maybe, I doubt it, but as a leader, maybe down the stretch, he's a nice guy to have. You know, he's been experienced. These aren't, you know, huge players. Neil Walker's not even healthy right now. Um, you know, so it's, it's going to, that's going to be tricky. I think Addison Reed probably has the most value. Maybe Blevins, if you really wanted to go that far, because he has a pretty affordable option. But then the Mets are just going to be in a position in, in six months to have to go find a, you know, replace these guys. So it's, they're in kind of a weird spot. And I, and I think you actually could argue at this point that Jay Bruce has, has value to the Mets as a returning player. I mean, it's hard to imagine that, but he's handled New York, interestingly enough, really well, you know, this year. I think he's, and as you know, I mean, we've been watching this team long enough. You can't say that a lot about a, a lot of free agents and players that come in. A lot of them buckle and never Jason Bay. get it together. Exactly, Jason Bay. And, 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 and Bruce, is, you know, he has struggled. He took a lot of lumps. He fought through it and is actually having a pretty good year. So, I mean, that, that says a lot. And that's something that I don't think they should ignore completely. Um, same with Neil Walker, for that matter. So, I mean, these are guys that you may bring back. Duda, probably not because of Dom Smith. Um, you know, but I think it becomes more about looking for a deal for Addison Reed because I think a team will take him. Um, you know, and then bringing up, I don't care what the excuse is, bringing up Rosario and Dom Smith. They've they got to let these kids – let them play. I mean, what is the worst that could – at the very least, they struggle and they learn in the batter's box. But they bring up the quality of the infield defense, to, you know, tenfold, and you get to see what these kids are about. And, you know, it just – you know, Rosario should have been called up a month ago, and everybody knows it. I've talked to two uh, former GMs and one that is currently a GM uh, arrival in the National League, and, and, you know, to a person, they all say – you know, there's no reason that Rosario shouldn't have been promoted a month ago, and everybody knows it. And now the Mets are in a position where it's probably not the right time, given all of the, the craziness going on around them and where they are in the standings, uh, but you miss the boat. You know, it's not the right time because you missed the right time. So, like, it's they, they goofed with that. And so, I mean, here we are. And so, they, I mean, you know, if they're going to be out of it and they know that, they've they got to let these kids play. You, gotta, you have got to know what you have going into next season with them. So, Matt, I want to officially apologize. I left the Yankees, and they started doing well, and I joined the Mets, and they started sucking. So I, I yeah. said it's at least, at least half my fault. Well, listen, the Yankees, you know, the, the, I wouldn't go too many bets on the Yankees just yet. I, I don't, I'm not a huge – seriously, I'm not a big buyer into their season right at the moment just because they're in that spot where, you know, a lot of these kids haven't played a full year. The, the, you know, when, when they start – look, you've seen this enough. You've watched enough New York baseball. The show's about, and so you know – when it gets August 
in if, if the Yankees are still in it or they're or they're in it but they're struggling and the city and the Mets are out of it, the city's going to turn their attention on those kids. And can they handle the heat? Can they handle it all? Is the bullpen strong or is the rotation strong enough to get through 95 degrees? You know, 105 on the field, seven game homestand. You're one in five. You know, you got to win those last games and you're on the back pages and all that stuff's beating down on you. Like, can they handle it? And we've seen, the, you know, that's not easy. And so, I, you know, Aaron Judge, it's great and everything, but I want to see a full season from these kids. And, and I think they got an exciting team, but, you know, you got to see them get through. We saw this at the Mets in, in 14, you know. Um, you know, you got to kind of you get, you get off to a good start and play well in June or whatever, or May, but like, it's a long year. And you got to see these kids get through it. We haven't seen it yet, and I don't know that they can. We'll see. Uh, we agree. We, Greg and I have been talking about the Yankees. We don't think they can be. Uh, we think they'll be fun to watch going you know, the rest of the season because of those, uh, those bats. But we don't think they're going to be a serious playoff contender. Uh, but I want to talk about the Mets real quick. On the you know, looking forward to 2018 because why not? We're, the season's already over. Uh, their starting pitching staff, mainly Matt Harvey and Noah Syndergaard. I have big question marks about what you think about these two guys. Obviously, the Harvey situation is well documented at this point. Uh, Noah, although before he left, didn't have it wasn't the worst uh, statistically, but there was a lot of articles starting to uh, pop, especially one by uh, the American hero Greg Long over here saying that Noah's ego is getting too big for for his, uh, his britches. Do you think Noah will come back and, and play like he did the previous season next year? And what do you think is going to happen with, with the Mets and Matt Harvey? With Harvey, I don't. I mean, they have no choice. He's got to come back next year. They they missed multiple opportunities to trade him, um, and understandably so probably not for the best deals. And, and now, you know, I don't think he's worth much in terms of the, of the trade market just because, you know, it's a lot of injuries. And, I mean, frankly, there, there's a yeah, there's an argument to be made or a concern that he may never come back from this most recent, you know, um, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. I mean, I, I understand that this shoulder scapula thing may or may not be related to that, but, you know, it's a 50-50 shot based on the history and and so there's no guarantees and then when you factor in being suspended for skipping a game and, and being late in, in previous you know situations I mean the whole thing is just if I'm another team at, at this point with a year left on his contract you know what do you you know it's just not you're not going you're not jumping over uh you know people that get Matt Harvey so I, I wouldn't I don't think he's going anywhere he's going to be in the rotation DeGrom's been terrific um Matt's might be the best, you know, the most valuable of the bunch when you consider the fact of how he throws and then he's a lefty and then he hits. The problem is he, you know, he hasn't stayed on the field for an entire season. So, I mean, that, that's always going to be a concern. And uh, in regards to Syndergaard, which is really what your question was about, I mean, I don't really worry too much about his ego. I think that's an easy mark. Um, and I think, you know, when a guy's pitching well, that becomes an asset, and when he's not, it becomes a liability. And so, I mean, I think ultimately it cancels itself out and just becomes about the talent and what he's doing on the field. And, if you know, I think for Noah, the biggest issue is going to be understanding that he's not 22, 23, you know, when he comes back and as he's maturing and he's going into the gym and he's doing all these things, you know, lifting weights and, and doing all this stuff that he's doing, that he works and now this should be partly part of the responsibility of the organization, but as an individual, as the CEO, basically, of his, you know, baseball career and future, you know, he needs to make sure that he's doing the right things in terms of his mechanics and all these things are in concert with weight building and, and strength. Because I don't think that was the case this year. I think he put on that weight, didn't change any of his delivery, 
And then I think he struggled for it and hurt himself. And I think now he's in a position where, you know, he's going to have to do those things. And that's what you do when you get older. You know, you get a little bit of a belly. You get a little more tired. Things change. You know, you got to make those adjustments. And so I think if he does those things and he learns uh, how to kind of manage himself on the field as he gets older, I don't, I, you know, he's the least of my concerns. I would lock him up and give him everything he wants because I just think he's got the right mind and um, takes himself seriously. I think that's part of what makes him funny and makes him such a great personality is that he's kind of, he's got sort of a, a dry wit to him. Cause I think he gets it all. Uh, he just has to be, I think he just has to understand kinesiology and understand that, you know, the things he's doing in the weight room and with his diet, you know, have to be in you know connection with his delivery and his mechanics and how he's approaching the game. And if he does that, I think he, you know, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. Uh, it, again, we're talking with Matthew Cerrone here on the Big Apple Sports Hour. And, you know, Matt, I, I've been a big Terry Collins apologist over the last couple of seasons. And, and I thought, you know, that he's he hasn't gotten enough credit for the job that he's done, especially in those early years when they had really bad teams and he really got the most out of those guys. And, you know, obviously getting them to the World Series uh, in 2015 and, and managing through all the ups and downs um, of last season. And now again, you know, uh, all the tumultuous up and downs that, that this season has brought. And it doesn't seem, as you had mentioned earlier, that this team is going to get back to the playoffs this year. What's been your, your estimation of Terry Collins? Does he deserve to be here for the rest of this season? Do you think he, he'll come back next season? Because I know he was thinking about retirement at, at the end of last season because it was very up and down and stressful and he's not getting any younger. So what, what's your estimation to Terry Collins? I don't really have a good answer for this because I, I feel like to, to, to give it its fair shape, you need to have the replacement, right? You got to know where it's going and know who you're yeah, going to exactly. this season and then what you're going to do next season, right? And I, it's hard. And here's why it's hard to answer that. New York city makes it incredibly complicated. Um, it's easy to be an armchair GM and just fire people and hire them. But the reality is that, and I say this with all respect to fans who don't, don't get to be in the position that I've, I've worked to be in, which is, you know, have a press credential and get to know some of these guys and watch, and more importantly, watch how the media operates and be sort of a student of, of journalism in this city and kind of how things happen. I could tell you without question that Terry does an unbelievable job um, handling all that and deflecting stories and keeping the players protected and working on when lineups get posted and times and how things maneuver so that, you know, this guy can throw in private so that no one sees him and is up his, you know, but about questions about this and that, like he does a really good job with that. And he motivates the players well and keeps them focused and he does all that great. However, he is terrible. I think in games, he's just, I don't know if it's losing uh, Chip Hale, that first runaround or, um, um, my, uh, Bob Garrett most recently. I think Garrett hurt a lot. Um, yeah. You know, it's nothing against Dick Scott as his bench coach. I, I don't really know much about him. But what I do know is that Terry has seemingly been a lot more confused and just not as sharp um, and making some odd choices since Garrett left. So, I, I, you know, my guess is there's something there. Um you know, and you saw a lot of this at the end of last season. Last season, the end of last year was a big red flag to me. They were winning, and yet he was making mistakes left and right. And, you know, that's fine. But, like, what does that mean when they're in positions to win more? Like, is he going to be able to get them over the hump? And that's always a concern. So, like, you know, there was an instance last year where 
uh, he didn't use Jerry Blevins in a game that clearly called for Jerry Blevins, who hadn't pitched in like three days. And when the reporters asked him after the game, why didn't you use Blevins? Terry said, well, because he was walking around in the clubhouse before the game with an ice pack down his shoulder. And when they then went and asked Blevins, Jerry said, I do that every game. I always wear that thing. Like, that's how part of my process. So, like, that's, you know, what what was that about? You know, like, how did he not know that, number one? Two, like, where was Worth in what, you know, what what happened there? And, like, that just came and went. And to me, like, that's the kind of thing that I understand as a manager, maybe you don't know everything and you're not on top of anything because that's, you're not a micromanager. That's not your job. But somebody should have known something there, like your bench coach or your bullpen, something somewhere, somebody weighs in. A couple weeks ago or last week, Cespedes wasn't ready to hit, so they used Stephen Max. Now, Cespedes is a professional ball player. You should have a bat in his hand and be getting ready, but maybe he was told you're not playing tonight. So where, who was supposed to tell Cespedes, hey, we may need you? Start getting loose. Nobody. So instead they had to use their pitcher to pinch hit. But like Those little things is not, you know, those are, it's fine when you're 31 and 37, they get glossed over when you're rebuilding, but like if the Mets are in first place right now, and that was a crucial game against the Nationals in September, we all would have seen it. And it doesn't mean that the decision's any different, right? It's the same moment. So that's the kind of stuff that concerns me. And to answer your question, I'm just giving you a long answer on, on why it is so difficult to make a call because whoever they replace yep. him with, and they will at some point replace him, who can do those? I don't know who the person is that can handle the city and handle all the pressure and do all the media stuff and redirect and be really good at in-game tactical stuff. And by the way, deal with the front office who is very hands-on. And I don't know who that is. So I don't really have a good answer in, but you know, that's, that's the truth. That's the fact that, that those are the facts. If you guys have an answer, I'd love to hear it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've talked to my dad and, and I've talked to Matt at length about this situation and, and where they would even go next. And it's it's just such a question mark. And, you know, the communication has yeah. always seemed to be a problem with the Mets organization. Uh, ever since I've I've remember watching them, you know, I'm 27 oh, yeah. years old now. So it's been a, it's been a huge problem. 90 seconds here left. So I just wanted to say thank you. I appreciate you taking some time and, and jumping on the show. I know it was kind of last minute, but I'm, I'm glad we got to do this. Oh, yeah, no worries. Sorry for all the rambling. You, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing. Like, I'm working on the blog now, so my brain's just cranking. So I, I hope it wasn't too much. <laughs> so that was excellent. Thank you so much, Matt. You got it, guys. Good luck with the show. Take it easy. Thanks. All right, man. There you have it. Matthew Cerrone, the, the talking head of the New York Metro. Information. Yeah, man. Listen, uh, you know, I've. If they want, I'll, I'll give a shot at being a manager. I'll even do it for half the price. I'll manage it. Dude, exactly. Uh, I would love to. And, I mean, another guy that I wanted to mention was maybe Edgardo Alfonso, who was my boy back in the day. Uh, he's been managing the uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones now, and they actually just drafted his son, Daniel Alfonso. Look him go. So, you never know. But anyways, Maddie, it's been a pleasure always. We've got about 30 seconds left. Just wanted to say thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Kelsey Brown for jumping on talking about the Yankees. And thank you to Matthew Cerrone for talking about the New York Mets. This has been the Big Apple Sports Hour with Stopski and G. We'll catch you next Monday at 1230 right here on blogtalkradio.com. Be a double. Bye.